Hello, and welcome to The Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of The Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Chun. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. This week, Alex catches up with Rob Coffey, a fellow alum of Computer Gaming World, to talk about his path through the journalism world, his role at CGW, and some very fun stories about things he's worked on and people he's met. There were um, there was a large cast of very interesting characters in 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 this week's talk. Journalism is always fun to listen about, especially for the history and old news. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's like it's always interesting to hear the amount of. Um, people from the gaming journalism world have access to so many interesting stories uh, that you would never like normally get to hear. I mean, half the half their great stories are things that it's like, yeah, these are just like cool little tidbits, but they're not article worthy necessarily. Uh, or I, they don't necessarily think so as like a marketing perspective, but mm-hmm. they're they're all oh, all the tidbits are what really gets you to know the gaming world and what it's about. Fun. It's about fun. <laughs> but I think it, I think that you'll all enjoy this interview. But first, we'll get into a little bit of news. So, Psychonauts Two, what's going on? So, uh, some 16 years after the original game came out, Tim Schafer and the team over at Double Fine have finally released, uh, as of tomorrow, the 25th, their long-awaited, uh, much-anticipated sequel, Psychonauts Two. Reviews are coming in, and they are very good. I'm certainly excited to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the oh, the first one is a really interesting, fun uh, platformer puzzle game. It it's it's the setting is is bizarre. Uh, the 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 locations are always just super like weird and mind bending and really fun. Um, it's got a lot. It's got a lot of character and a lot of charm. So it. I mean it. It's from Double Fine, so they got a lot of just love poured into the game. Regardless, mm-hmm. it's gonna be, it, it's gonna be something really, really fun to do. Yeah, um, and if you haven't uh, uh, heard the episode with Tim Schafer, definitely go check it out mm-hmm. in our yes. episode list. Absolutely, that's a, a marvelous episode. Great information, and. Yeah, it blew me away. Also, just the enjoyment that they have from doing their job is something that's really special. Um, in other news, Stardew Valley is in eSport now. Um, as of September, <laughs> after September, as of September fourth, uh, there's going to be the Stardew Valley Cup. Uh, there was <clears throat> the creator of Stardew Valley uh, worked with. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the creator of Stardew Valley uh, worked with a very popular YouTuber. They created like a hundred different challenges to complete, uh, and within those cha- like, and teams face off against trying to complete these different challenge, these different hundred challenges, each worth a different level of points based on their difficulty and what needs to be done. And there's a prize pool of about forty thousand dollars, a little bit more, available. So. All your time farming in Stardew Valley can pay off. That's not no money. Just sign up. It's not no money. It is not no money. 
God, imagine but, if you're programmers and people ask, "What game do you play?" and you say, "I, I do competitive no, I Star Trooper." <laughs> yeah, I, I'm competitive Stardew Valley. Competitive oh. uh, Stardew Valley Pro Circuit. Oh God. Yes, it, it's amazing. It's just going to be fantastic. There's nothing. I mean, we're going to see Minecraft at this point. Uh, like we're going to see a competitive, well, competitive Minecraft. Oh. Minecraft well. has always been pretty competitive, as I know. Just n- n- there's yeah. never been someone to make it a real thing with money to be aboard. I think. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm I'm just expecting like a, a Minecraft cup with a million dollar prize pool, and then all the Minecraft kids can be validated um, in their efforts of playing, uh, which is great. But dang. There's just so many like Stardew Valley getting a a esport cup is just really something special. It sounds unreal. I would thought it's a joke if it's first of April. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it's not. It's middle of August, yeah. end of August, so yeah. it's real. It's happening in a couple weeks. Um, and then final little piece of news: the Pokemon Legends Arceus gameplay trailer came out, and the biggest update that I noticed is that. Pokemon can attack you, the trainer, and knock you out. And I was like, that's sounds fitting because there's lots of attacks where I'm like, if I'm standing behind my Pokemon, how's that not going to hit me? And also, Ash got shocked by Pikachu all the time. So, of course, Pokemon can attack. Of course, Pokemon can attack your trainer. Finally, you can get a taste of Ash. Finally, the immersiveness has come to Pokemon. <laughs> you can feel the shared pain of your Pokemon. Pain. <laughs> you can know what it's like, the shared suffering mm-hmm. of Pokemon. But, it, I mean, it looks it looks enticing. It looks pretty exciting. I mean, it, um, it looks fun. I'm excited to see what it comes out to. Yeah, just meanwhile, but... I, will, I, will, I will try to lower my expectation to prevent anything. Just, yeah, like, just, like, don't have any high expectations and then you won't be disappointed. So that's the lesson for everybody today on every game that's ever going to be released. <clears throat> don't keep your hopes up and you won't be disappointed. Yeah, nothing will be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's about time we stop talking about the news and let Alex and Rob get to their conversation. So without further ado, here's Alex chatting with Rob Coffee. And we are back with Robert Coffey. How you doing, Rob? Uh, I'm I'm well, thanks, Alex. Thank you. So we used to work together at Computer Gaming World, and we had Jeff on last week. So I figured right. we would start with just how you came to be there. <clears throat> how did I get to be at, at Computer Gaming World? Yes. Yeah. Well, let's see. I started off. I was a I was a subscriber first, and I was a stay at home dad at the time, and. Um, I was doing freelance writing for uh, mostly Larry Flint publications. I was writing the articles that surrounded the pornography. And um, I did some stuff on like pinball games for them. And I started, you know, reading CGW and I decided this would look like a good uh, outlet for me to earn some money as a freelance writer. Um, so I actually started writing reviews for a website. I don't even know if it exists anymore called worldvillage.com. And they were paying me with just free games to review games for them. And I did that for about a year. 
just to practice writing reviews and to feel that I, I would have the chops to work at CGW. And then so after a year, I then mailed actual mail, not email <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to, to Ken Brown, who was the executive editor at CGW. And I sent him uh, color laser printings of magazine articles that I had published in, in some of the Larry Flint clubs and uh, San Diego Family Magazine as well as uh, printouts and links to the, the reviews that I had done. And my whole goal was to create a package that they would be unable to ignore. And indeed, when Ken contacted me, he said, I had never gotten that from anybody. I felt that I had to call you to see if you wanted to do work for us. And so I started freelancing for CGW, and I did that for a number of years. And then when uh, Elliot Chin left the magazine, it opened up an editorial position. And uh, I moved up to the Bay Area in 98 and started working full time there. What was that like coming into the office and, you know, playing games all day? It was great. I mean, we didn't just play games all day. We did actually put out a magazine. Um, and uh, <laughs> I was I was the uh, action and strategy editor when I first came on board. So uh, the magazine was organized differently. It didn't have a previews editor, reviews editor. So every editor was in charge of of their genres assigned all of those reviews and his action and strategy. I had like the largest, uh, domain. So I was, I was editing stuff and trying to play all of those games that I was assigning out and do preview coverage around all of that stuff. So it was a lot, but it was fun. It was great. I remember your uh, high heat baseball league that you mm -hmm. had us all set up and you, we drafted all the players and you set them all up. That was an incredible amount of work. It was fantastic. I had, when I had lived in New York city, I, my friend, uh, <clears throat> my friend and writing partner, uh, Cliff Hahn, he had an Amiga computer and I had an Amiga computer and we both had Earl Weaver baseball and we organized a six man league and we played Earl Weaver baseball there. And it was one of the most gratifying, most satisfying gaming experiences of my entire life. So when I came to CGW, when High Heat came out and it was such a great game, I was just like super motivated to, um, do that and it was great when we did that were you there for the first draft yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, they were like we were in the fishbowl which was this huge glassed in conference room and there were 12 or 14 of us everybody on the staff was in there i had like multiple legal pads with all of i like i went hardcore into my draft prep jeff had not prepped nobody you know some no, people no. had done no prep others had done something in between and then i just had like you know, I had like a different legal pad for every position with my depth charts and draft order on it. And uh, I know that people from sales came by and they saw us all in there. And I think they had the room booked, but they didn't even try to go in because they, 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 they thought that we were so hard at work and so serious. And they'd never seen all of us so, so focused on anything before that they thought it would have been, you know, there was a major redesign or something going on. So they didn't dare disturb us, but we were just drafting baseball teams. Yeah, it was great. I remember Pedro, uh, Pedro went first, and my first pick, I picked Mariano Rivera, which didn't work out well for me. No. No? Why wouldn't that work out? You just Because your first draft pick is a closer? That's a well, bit of, you know. yeah. They're fair. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Pedro Martinez was on – we actually – when we did the game of the uh, the end of the year awards, when we, you know, we had like best weapon of the year, was actually Pedro Martinez's changeup. That's right. Because it was on oh. – Oh, I'm sorry. It was unhittable. It's okay. <laughs> it was unhittable. It was unhittable. And uh, yeah, it was great. 
we played against the 3DO team. You set up a who set up that softball game? Oh, I did. Me and I forget somebody at 3DO, and we played them, and we uh, lost. We lost. We should have won, but we should have. We lost. Anyway, no, I missed a I missed a line drive. I remember feeling very terrible at second base. But uh, it, it, you know, whatever. It was a bunch of gamers out playing softball. I don't know what we expected. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what other memories do you have of the time at CGW that you, you stick out? Uh, you know, I mean, just day in and day out, it was just such a great place to work. Everybody there was was really cool. And, uh, you know, we did have a lot of fun. I remember when the uh, the first uh, the zombie bunker thing came out the, for, uh, for Half-Life, for Half-Life 1. And uh, we played we played that all day long, the whole office. And you would hear people shouting, zombies to the bunker. And then we'd all run to the bunker and drop the bombs and kill all the scientists. And there was no scorekeeping in that mod, but we played it like for hours every day. We were so into it. <laughs> a game that's almost lost to history, all those old Half-Life mods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, along the way, you also worked on some movies, right? Kind of. I mean, I had, I had, I mean, I have a BFA in acting <laughs> from NYU. I studied with uh, with the actual Lee Strasberg while he was still alive. Very that's great. I mean, Tish is Tish is a great. It's Tish, right? Yeah, Tish School of the Arts. Yeah, that's an amazing school. That's a great degree. It's 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 very good. I I I'm, I have no I have no regrets or qualms about getting an acting degree. I think. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not an actor. <laughs> anymore but um when you know i had a i had continued to take acting classes at strasburg um kind of as a staff member there uh post-graduation and i was still writing and on the side and i had a short story published in a magazine and that was kind of the end of it for me i'm like okay this is much better i enjoy this so i was working with a partner uh cliff there in new york and uh we were trying to do screenwriting stuff and we produced a uh a special for Manhattan cable television there called TV television that our friends and us put together. That would, you know, would all be on YouTube now. If we were doing it, it'd be a lot easier. Um, and uh, his girlfriend, Cliff's girlfriend was working at Trauma Films at the time. She was trying to get into the, the film industry at the executive level. And, and in fact, she did end up working at Miramax uh, after that. But, um, she was working at Troma, and they needed uh, screenwriters to write uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, for them. They had gotten, I believe, I want to say like $3 million from these Japanese investors. And so Lloyd Kaufman took $1 million, his partner took $1 million, and then they were going to take the other million and, and ostensibly pour it into their biggest, best movie ever. And... Uh, you know, we found out they were doing this and looking for writers. So we wrote a script based on a sweater that <laughs> Cliff had at his apartment and we called it 70s Man. It was like a weird 70s sweater. And it was because we knew what they were trying to get with Kabuki Man. So we kind of wrote this thing, 70s Man, with an eye towards getting this job. And um, we did. We wrote that in 10 days. It was about all the time that we had. Turned that in. They hired someone else. And uh, then that guy could not produce a script. And so then they came back to us and said, we need a script and we need it in two weeks. 
and this has to be the best script that we've ever done. We don't want any dick jokes or funny names or or any of this kind of stuff. And so Cliff, we did it. I actually moved into Cliff's house, I, his apartment. I was in between apartments at the time and all my stuff was in storage. So I just lived on his couch, went to work, waited tables, and then I come back and write at his place. And uh, we wrote a very, a very different Kabuki Man that ended up on the screen. That's why we have a additional material by credit now because the uh, they went ahead and put in all the dick jokes and all the funny names that they told us not to. And uh, if you watch the movie, there's like a joke about the proletariat being exploited. And there's some other weird kind of esoteric jokes. And that's the, the little bits of our material that, that, that survived the, 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 the new script. But, but the, the whole format of the movie is all ours. Like the structure of it and everything, we came up with all of it. They just rewrote all the dialogue and put in all the dick jokes. Trauma is going to trauma, right? Like, absolutely. We went, I mean, we went over to Lloyd Kaufman's. He had a, a beautiful brownstone on the Upper East Side. We went up there one summer and he wanted to have this conversation about all the things that he wanted in, 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 in the, uh, in the movie. And I forget what was going on in the news at the time, you know, it was New York city in the eighties. So there was all kinds of craziness going on and he wanted all of that stuff put in. And the, the whole time he's telling this, neither of us can pay any attention to him because he's wearing these tennis shorts and his balls are hanging out <laughs> during the entire meeting in, in his backyard. And he has a beautiful wife and these two beautiful little children, these girls that come in and out from the backyard of his, of his brownstone. And he's like, Patty Pie, come over here. And he's talking to them and carrying on and his balls are just hanging out. And oh, jeez. It, it was a hell of a thing. Thank you for that image. That's that's the that's You're the welcome. coffee I remember yeah. and love. <laughs> well, that's, that happened. <laughs> I don't doubt that it did. That's yeah. uh, I just remember that big poster you had on the wall behind you in your uh, in your office of Sergeant Kabuki Man. I'd never heard of the movie at the time. Right, right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I saw it for the first time at San Diego Comic Con twenty something years ago. They had like the, one of the first showings of it. So. so you'd never seen it after after when when they'd taken all your stuff out, you know? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, we wrote it. We gave it to them. The check cleared. I mean, we we actually did end up a few years later selling them the rights to Seventies Man because we both needed money. They had liked the script, <laughs> so we sold them the rights to Seventies Man for like nothing. But we both, you know, we both got like five hundred thousand dollars out of it or whatever. They never made the movie, but you know, I. I had a baby at that time and yeah. I'm like, yeah, I need $500. Sounds really good. <laughs> so uh, you've uh, managed to, uh, to still be able to play games as a part of your career these days, right? What do you, what's going on these days with you and Jeff and everybody? Uh, well, Jeff and Ryan Scott and myself, uh, we formed our own consulting company about a year and a half ago. And um, Ryan worked with us at CGW and we had all been doing consulting in various forms for a number of years. I had done it, you know, ever since I left CGW, whenever that was. And um, it just made sense to team up. And we've had, you know, we, we started this right when the pandemic blew up. So it was ideal timing, um, but it's worked out really well for us. So it's, it's been really good. We've got a nice robust client list, lots of different games and it's cool. Is there anything that you see out there in your consulting work that perhaps uh, is a common mistake or a common 
a thing that you see a lot, maybe like some advice, some holistic device to some of the developers? Have? You know, the onboarding is a is a constant thing that 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 we run into where the uh, you know you can really make or break a game in the in those opening minutes in terms of how you onboard people. We are working on a, a product right now where the onboarding seems kind of robust but it really doesn't show you the nuts and bolts of the things that you need to do to really succeed in the game. And so it doesn't prepare you well. And it, it needs to, to expose you to these other ideas and stuff. Um, so that's, that's, that's a, a persistent thing that, and things becoming just like repetitive. Yeah, that's uh, that's a constant difficulty. I mean, when you look at game design, a lot of people say, you know, most games have like three or four core mechanics. How do you keep those things from getting repetitive over time? You have to iterate on them within the game. You know, they 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 grow. You know, a game I think that did a good job of that. I know a lot for some reason it got a like some weird kind of blowback. I think from the public, I don't quite get it. But like Ghost of Tsushima, I thought mm. it was a really good, not the greatest game that was ever made, but one of one of my favorite games from the year that it came out, I probably helped that, you know, there was a pandemic going on, but <laughs> you know, they, 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 they continually roll out just a little bit more. They keep, they keep adding a little bit more to this and now, oh, now you have this new stance and now you have this new little thing and they just keep adding a little thing and a little thing. And then they get, and they incentivize you to use it. Horizon Zero Dawn actually did that even better with all of the mm -hmm. challenges that they had. Because I, I, I'm the kind of player that will get locked into something that seems successful, right? Oh, this works. I'm just going to keep doing this. A lot of people will do that. Horizon Zero Dawn incentivized a playful sort of play to, 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 to nudge you into using things you wouldn't normally, normally do. Normally, my God. Normally do and um with rewards and that and that just totally opened up the game a whole lot more for me and it mm. really exposed me to 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 how many options there were in it so you mentioned before you were the editor in charge of the action and strategy genres which uh, frankly at that time were like the you know rts and the first person shooters exactly like, top of the line what do you th i wanted to hit both of those genres so like real-time strategy what, what's going on with that you've been watching that for years like that is a weird genre these days it is a weird genre i mean it's i don't know what i the old age of empires is coming out right That's, yeah and and there was gray goo yeah some of those games, and, uh, <laughs> what's that? They are billions. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I you really know, morphed. it's it it has. It's not something that I personally have have. I kind of burned out on RTS somewhere mm -hmm. around Age of Mythology. Well, that's when the industry burned out on it too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 response to these age betas has been really encouraging. So I mean, I. I I probably will check out an RTS again, you know, but it's mm. been, it, yeah, it just got burned out. And it's me, for me personally, the problem with RTS for me personally, when playing an RTS is there's so much to keep track of at any one time that it, it, it overwhelms me and my ADD Tourette syndrome brain. And, uh, it, it, it can be a very anxious playing experience for me. <laughs> At least early on in that whole economy build-up stuff, it's just very fraught for me. And in terms of first-person shooters, uh, what's your opinion after having watched that genre mature over the past 10, 25 years? It's, you know, there's, there's, it, it's gone through such an evolution and it's, and it's, and it's, 
I don't want to say fractured, but it's just, it's split up into so many, so many different things now. Like, like before, like first person shooter used to be, and it still is like a big catch all, but now people really define um, their interest in a first person shooter more by like the sub genre is it? you know, there's people that are really into the military shooters. There's people that are really into the live service games or really want these PVP things, you know, or PVE co-op experiences. And it's, and, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's weird to me how, how like shooter, I'm sure there are still general shooter fans, but it's, it mm. feels to me as if things have just become so much more specialized. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Did you play the more recent Doom, the, the most recent Doom? I did. Yeah. And I, 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 I didn't play a ton of it. I don't play a ton of everything that comes out because I'm constantly sampling because of work i feel i need to be informed i was i was very impressed with how much it felt like a doom game like it had been a long time since i had played one and i can't i you know we didn't prepare for this so i can't put my finger exactly on what it was that that did but something about the movement the pacing the 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 feel of the guns everything about it's it's uniquely doom and 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 it was it was fun to play that after such a long time and feel that again. It's like, oh my god, yeah, this is different than everything else. It's not, you know, the same. Uh, well, before we wrap it up, I did have one final question I wanted to ask. What baseball game do you recommend these days? You know, I don't play as much or follow baseball as heavily as I used to, but I play do play MLB. I like playing the uh, the road to the show. Mm. You know, I've got a two-way player now. Everybody's Shohei Itani now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's this weird... I mean, for me, it's it's a baseball RPG. And, uh, you know, it's just some kind of crazy wish fulfillment. Uh, it feels like the, the, the mechanics of that genre have finally sort of settled down. It used to be wildly different between baseball games. Yes. And, and, and you know, and you saw the same thing, like... In, in other sports games too, like golf games, it was always like everybody had a different way of dealing with golf swings. And it's just everybody has a different way of dealing with even, – even MLB, I think, has like three or four different ways you can swing the bat. You know, there's like so many options now, and uh, they've just all been folded into that, that game. Well, uh, Robert Coffey, thank you so much for being here. Sure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Uh, excuse me well thank you rob and alex for that <laughs> really <laughs> quite interesting conversation yeah. it's it, it's yeah it, it's gonna be something yeah this is an episode to listen to everybody this is definitely one that you'll very uh you'll you'll let's say replay uh put it on repeat uh, make sure you're not missing anything, but it's very good. Uh, thank you, Rob, for coming in and chatting, and we'll hopefully have you on again in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what have y'all been playing? Anything exciting? Have you been playing Psychonauts 1 to gear up for Psychonauts 2? No. <laughs> have you been practicing Stardew Valley to get your training fingers up for the tournament? I have friends that play Stardew Valley, <laughs> but no, I don't. I don't okay. think my friends do practice that. I mean, <laughs> it's a game supposed yeah. to be relaxing, so I I don't think they really want to play it competitive. Yeah, that's that's another thing too. Uh, we're next thing we're gonna know is like we're gonna have uh like competitive like inside. <laughs> it just it's like competitive storytelling. 
actually, kind of speaking of that, I have been playing a lot of Wildermyth with my friends. Uh, I've heard that this game is amazing. It's really good. Um, there is... Okay, so to to describe Wildermyth, it is essentially... Like, the closest you can get to computer D&D. Um, okay. The combat is very, very similar to D&D. And, um, like, you're, you know, you're on a grid, you move your pieces around. Uh, you don't roll attacks, you just hit or don't. Um, okay. And everything outside of the game is based on sort of this legacy system of time passes really quickly. Um so, you know, at the start of the game, you you make your cast of heroes, like four or five heroes, and mm-hmm. then uh, you go on adventures, and all the adventures are basically pre-written um, comics that you make choices oh. in. Oh. And so, based on your stats and the choices you make, uh, your characters can get more powers or, uh, you know, be turned into to, uh, crows. Um, mm. my, my hero got a crow head because I, ah. I pissed off a witch. Um, oh no is it just like do you have increased pecking strength i think it did give me a stat of some kind i can't remember what the stat was um but but (laughs) the ability to bring down any conversation right (laughs) so i mean the, the most fun in that game is reading through the comics with my friends because we all do stupid voices for all our characters and it has just devolved into this absolute horror show of like us just screaming at at each other and croaking and and doing stupid stupid voices that don't make any sense that's what you did with your bro oh nice yeah so So can you like can you play this this is like strictly like online co-op yeah uh it's it's uh you can play it single player or you can play with up up to four or five friends i think Ooh, nice okay i like i like that small small parties Mm -hmm. uh like i Anything that's where you can have like a group of like ten to twelve people, I'm like that's just too many to talk to. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna get a word in edgewise. Yeah, but three to four, especially in like a turn-based style game. Ah, there I, are. I was looking at the art for it, and it also just looks the really the art is great. Yeah, and, it's got a really great yeah. style of like oh, it's all paper cutouts, uh, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. There are three or four like pre-written long adventures that have a actual story that that go all the way through. And then uh, the interesting thing about the game is that it's theoretically endless because all of the content can be added to through mod support, uh, and it's oh. they've they've re- they've released like all the tools you need to be able to write your own adventures. Um, Dude, and uh, you awesome. can just have like open ended adventures where your your characters will age to the point where you know they retire, and their children will take over, or you hu- you hire on new help. Mm-hmm. So, like, the story just sort of keeps uh, expanding onward and not really having a clear end unless you just decide to stop or you have the uh, the pre-written adventures. Oh, I like that. Yeah, oh, it's great. Oh, that's amazing. I like that. That was a kind of, oh, God. That kind of reminds me of uh, the old, um, just like a style of play in, like, in the old Infinity Blade uh, mobile game mm-hmm. on, like, on your phone. Because like each time you would go through and you would fight these other characters or just enemies, and then you would die, you would be come back as like the next person in line uh, of like your the family line. Mm-hmm. You'd come back as the next person and would keep track of like how many generations it took you to get to the finale. 
but actually having a character retire and then cheer you on from the sidelines sounds like it would be even even more fun. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Well, I think that that is all the time that we have for the rest of the day. But thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at We would like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the Maid afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before its release on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Chun. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.